Welcome to North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week and inspires you to know Christ intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Christ daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its timeless truth for living life God's way. Let's listen to Pastor Brandon as he brings us today's message. a series called Love Goes the Distance. This is a year of love for North Main Street Church of God. Over the next few years, we're going to look at different themes over the different years. And what are those themes going to be? Well, they're going to be the fruit of the Spirit. Guess what the first fruit of the Spirit is in Galatians chapter 6 or chapter 5? What is it? It's love. And so this year being a year of love, we've challenged the church to read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We've given you chronological reading plans so that you can read it the way it was written. And um, and we've given you a pink highlighter. Guess what the pink highlighter is for? It's to highlight evidence of God's love from Genesis to Revelation. Because we want you to see the theme of God's love throughout the whole course of Scripture. So I hope you're doing that. I hope you're gleaning a lot from that. As we look further into this idea of love and what God's love is and how God's love works, uh, remember in the past few weeks I've talked about God's love is not a feeling or an emotion. What is God's love? It's called in the Greek agape love. It's unconditional, sacrificial, and selfless love. There are four different types of love in the Greek language. Do you remember what I told you they were? So there's agape, there's phileo, not like the phileo fish, you get it, McDonald's. There's eros love, which is where we get the term erotic from. It's a romantic love. It's a love of being attracted to. So it's a love between a husband and wife. And there's also a love that's not even found in scripture in the Greek language called storge. S-T-O-R-G-E, and it means a family type of love. The phileo love, Philadelphia, the brotherly love, friendship love, but agape love is significant out of all the loves in the Greek language, and when we find love written in the New Testament, guess what word we see? More often than not, actually, all the kinds of love we hear from Jesus with exception of one occurrence is agape love, and I'm gonna give you that one occurrence today. As we get into the message and the passage, I'll let you turn there since we don't have an overhead in here this morning to fill in the blanks. I'll kind of walk you through your outlines which are on the center of your tables here. Um, I came across this illustration. I thought it was pretty, pretty important. And I thought it would really illustrate this idea today. But John chapter 20, not 1 John. We've been in 1 John for the first part of this year. We're going to look at the Gospel of John. So in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. So I want you to look at the very last chapter of the Gospel of John. That's where we're going to be today. So as you turn there, listen to this illustration. Once there was a briar growing in a ditch, and there came along a gardener with his spade. As he dug around it and lifted it up, the briar said to itself, his briars could talk, what is he doing? Doesn't he know I'm a worthless briar? But the gardener took it into his garden. He planted it amid his flowers, while the briar said, what a mistake he's made in planting me among these beautiful roses. 
Then the gardener came once more and made a slit in the briar with his sharp knife. He grafted it with a rose. And when summer came, lovely roses were blooming on that old briar. Then the gardener said, your beauty is not due to what came out, but what I put into you. Today we look at the patient, regenerating, restorative power of God's agape love for us. And how do we do that today? Well, let's take a look at John 21. One of the best examples of this is found here. One of the best examples anywhere in scripture of how love restores, how love gives, how love creates opportunities is found here. John 21 verses 1 through 19. Now, let me set the story up for you. Jesus has died on the cross, been buried in the tomb. Three days later, we celebrate on Easter, he rose from the grave. So now we have the living, risen Christ walking among the people of the earth. And we know, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians, that he did this for about 40 days. And so during that time, he met with his disciples on a couple occasions. And this is one of those in John chapter 21, starting with verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were, were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, and two other disciples were there. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Well, we'll come too, they said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Now, if you know anything about the Gospels, you know that this happened before Jesus and the disciples met. Peter, James, John, Andrew were fishing all night one night before Jesus called them to come follow him. And what did they catch all night? Not a thing. So we're getting kind of a parallel image of what's happening here. Almost as if Jesus is setting the stage. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. Now, I can imagine at dawn, it's a little dark out. There's barely a crest of, of light on the horizon. It's almost like seeing a silhouette from a distance. And so Jesus is standing on the beach. They're finishing up their night's fishing and getting ready to come to shore. But Jesus calls out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Okay. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And as if you would think, oh, we know who this is. They didn't get it yet. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, and he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work. Stripped down to his skivvies. He wasn't completely naked, in case you were curious. <laughs> he was, uh, he had naked fishing. It sounds like a TV show. Oh, it probably is. <laughs> All right, sorry. Side note, let's go back. Peter heard there was a Lord. He put on his tunic, for he'd stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. The other stayed in the boat, uh, stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Not only is Jesus a savior, he's a cook. 
Because he'd been cooking dinner for them or breakfast for them. Fish cooking over charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were about 153 large fish and yet the net hadn't even torn. So what does he do here? Now come, have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they'd done that before. They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he'd been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, and here's where we get to the meat of our message today. Simon, son of Jonah, or some of your versions might say Jonah. Jonah's just another word for John. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, let me give you a side note here. A lot of scholars are not sure exactly who the these are in this passage. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, more than these fish, more than these disciples, more than these circumstances? There are several scholars that debate on that and continue to debate on that. But let's put this into context. Do we love anything more? Did Simon Peter love anything more than he loved Jesus? That was a question Jesus was asking him. Do you love me more than anything in the world? Do you? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus says. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question, or excuse me, a third time, excuse me, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked, you dressed yourself, you went wherever you wanted to go, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. (laughs) Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. What happened to Peter? Why is Jesus having this conversation with Peter? Well, if we go to Luke chapter 22, we find out that before Jesus was crucified, there was a conversation going on among the disciples and Jesus is telling them, basically, listen, I'm gonna be crucified, but don't worry, I'll come back. So Luke chapter 22, verse 31, listen to what happens. Simon, Simon, Satan, this is Jesus talking to Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. What is the sifting of wheat? What do you do, what's the purpose of that? All right, so if you're a farmer and you know anything about grain or those kind of things, so wheat is a kernel inside of what's called a a casing. And uh, what they would do in the Old Testament times and what's done today with more industrial methods is to remove the shaft away from the kernel of wheat. So when you're sifting wheat, you're, you're shaking it, throwing it up in the air so that the shaft blows away with the wind and all that's left is a kernel. This is what they would do in the Old Testament. They had threshing floors where they would do this. There were other places in these little granaries that they would do this, 
where they would let take off the outer coat of the kernel so that all that was left was a kernel. And so Jesus is telling them, hey, listen, God has asked, or not God, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. So if, if Jesus told you that, how would you feel? Huh? Not great. Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. And I didn't say no. Oh, wow. Ouch. Mm-hmm. Or, oh my. But what happens in the, in, the, in the sifting? Things are purified, left in their more pure form. So is that a bad thing? So when you encounter trials, troubles, difficulties, things that don't always go your way, maybe you're being sifted and purified for a purpose. But let's go on. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Jesus says, that your faith should not fail. So Satan is asked to sift you like wheat, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm praying for you. Oh, that sounds so cliche, Jesus. I'm praying for you that you'll be strong when that happens. So when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Wait a minute. Repented? So I'm going to be sifted. You're praying that I don't fail. But now it seems as though you're saying, I'm probably going to fail. Because he says, when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Mm-hmm. See, Jesus seems to know something about the human character. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. And Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you'll deny me three times. You'll deny even knowing me. Mm -hmm. And just a little further in that same chapter, we read, after Jesus was arrested, they led him to the high priest's home and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and set around it and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And some of the versions say he cursed and said, I don't even know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered what the Lord had said to him. Now, keep in mind, he's right at this place where he can see Jesus and Jesus can see him because he's in the courtyard with the with the uh, temple priests or uh, uh, guards in the fire, around the fire, where Jesus is being tried by the Sanhedrin. The rooster crows and Jesus locks eyes with Peter, who's just a short distance away. Peter remembered what the Lord had said before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. You see, Peter failed to love Jesus the way Jesus loved Peter. How many times have we failed to love Jesus the way Jesus loves us? How many times have we given up on Jesus when he's never given up on us? How many times have we been frustrated with Jesus because he wouldn't do what we wanted him to do? And he's been faithful to us no matter what. 
See, the key point this morning is this. God's love is restorative and regenerative because God's love doesn't leave us where we are. He doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants to bring us to him. He wants to restore us to himself. So let's get into this passage today. Agape love versus phileo love. That's your first, your first outline point. Agape is A-G-A-P-E. And phileo is P-H-I-L-E-O. In case you're curious how to spell those. Now I want you to hear this because there's some, how many words are there in English for love? You can talk to me, it's a little bit more intimate setting. One. One. How many words in Greek? Four. Possibly five, but definitely four. The type of love that Jesus uses in this passage is quite different than the type of love Peter responds back with. Did you know that? Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Well, let's look at what the Greek says. The first time Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agapeo me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. Do you know that? Do you love me unconditionally, sacrificially, and selflessly? Lord, I love you like a brother. Feed my sheep. Jesus asked Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agapeo me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. Take care of my lambs. And a third time, and this is where it gets interesting. Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Hurt. Peter responds with this. You know everything. You know that I phileo you. Now, there are scholars, and I've read so many different commentaries and writings on this. There are scholars that believe that this isn't significant. I beg to differ. Uh, I think there's a lot going on in the wordplay here. Because not only is Jesus trying to restore Peter's honor and dignity and status as a disciple of his, he's also trying to help him understand something deep inside of every one of us. And what is that? Well, let's look. If Jesus is asking Peter, do you agape me? What does Peter know for a fact? What did Peter do? He denied Jesus three times. He failed Jesus at his most critical moment. And so with good faith and in good conscience, Peter can't really say, I love you unconditionally, selflessly, and sacrificially. I wasn't even willing to go to prison with you. I wasn't even willing to die with you. Remember, when Jesus is talking to Peter now in John chapter 21, he is the risen Lord. He now has the scars that Thomas was able to touch in his hands and in his side. What do we do with this? What what makes Peter get hurt is this, at least in my estimation, taken as Brandon's commentary for the morning. 
Jesus switches the love. Okay, do you fillet on me? What has Peter been telling him for the previous two times? Of course I fillet owe you. Jesus switches it up and asks him this third time, okay, since you can't meet me where I am, I want to meet you where you are because I'll take what you're willing to give me and I can use that to develop and strengthen you even greater than your failures. I can give you more than you can ever ask for or imagine. But it doesn't mean it's going to be easy because what does he tell him after he gets done here? Someday, Peter, your arms are going to be stretched out. People are going to lead you where you don't want to go. Things are going to happen to you that are atrocious. The sifting like wheat and the denial of me is nothing compared to what you're going to experience, Peter. But I'm restoring you. I'm putting you back in this place of honor and respect because I love you. And I know you love me. And I know in the midst of failure, you're still going to be able to rise above all of that stuff. You ever been to that place before? Where you feel like you failed God? You feel like you've gone too far from where he is to be able to even be restored or forgiven? I mean, I don't know every one of your all's backgrounds. And even those of you who I do know, I don't know the complete detail because I'm sure there's stuff you don't even talk about. But God knows every single detail of every one of our lives. He has every single thing at his fingertips to know every little bit about us. The psalmist even says he even counts the hairs on our head and mine are getting fewer by the day. So it's a little bit easier for him to count. But the truth is, he knows every single thing about us. And he says, I still love you. Now you can reject his love. Now I've said this last week, you can reject Jesus' love and you can end up separated from him for eternity. But what is God, well, what is Jesus' desire? Is for us to not only receive his love, but to live in his love and to live out his love. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know um, all the things uh, in your life that have led you to this place this morning. But I pray that you're hearing this message with a fresh set of ears, knowing that hopefully, no matter where you've come from, what you've done, that there is redemption and hope in Jesus Christ. You see, this same love if Judas had given Jesus the opportunity, I believe could have been redemptive for him too. Well, what happened to Judas? Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus into the hands of the Sanhedrin, he was arrested for 30 pieces of silver. Do you remember the story? Instead of, instead of uh, going back to life and maybe seeking Jesus and asking for forgiveness, Judas comes to this point of discouragement and despair to the point where he wants to end his life because he realizes, oh my gosh, what have I done? And he goes and hangs himself. 
in the point of desperation, in the place where we may find ourselves, I know a lot of people get there. They think they've gone so far or have done so much difficult or bad things that it is such a desperate situation, there's no way out, and so I need to take matters into my own hands. But the same Jesus who met with Peter in John 21 and says, do you agape me? Do you agape me? is the same one who would have met with Judas had Judas been willing. Sometimes Jesus is willing to meet us where we are when we can't meet him where he is, but he does this to help us out of where we are and come to the place where he desires for us to be. This is just more evidence of God's agapeo love for us. You know, there's a second part of this. Um, there's another word that's changed in here. Um, it's the word know, K-N-O-W. And that's the second point today. We're going to look at intellectual knowledge versus intimate knowledge. Let me say that. I don't need to spell that out for you. Intellectual knowledge versus intimate knowledge. In this same passage, Peter reveals something deeper about Jesus' knowledge. Each time Peter responds to Jesus' questions of love, Peter responds by telling Jesus, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. But let's take a closer look at how this plays out in the Greek. Yes, Lord, you, I do, E-I-D-O, I love you. The first time Peter responds to Jesus. Second time, yes, Lord, I do. I love you. Lord, I do everything. You, Gnosko, I love you. Is there any significance there? Well, let's take a look. We can see Peter's willingness to acknowledge that Jesus has an understanding that he loves him, but because Peter's apparent failures to live out this kind of love for Jesus, he is not quite willing to acknowledge that Jesus can say this from a place of intimate knowledge. What's the difference between the two words? Well, edu, E-I-D-O, is another word that means to see or to understand or perceive something. So if I'm sitting as an objective observer from a distance, I can see things and I can make certain uh, decisions or uh, I can come to certain understandings by just observing, correct? Yes? yes? Okay. So I can sit uh, by Lake Arthur and watch sailboats and I can observe, okay, the boats move because there's wind in the sails. There must be a rudder because it's able to turn. I come to a certain type of knowledge and understanding by observing. So when Peter is saying to Jesus, yes, you know I love you. You've seen it before. You've seen me live it out. He can say that because he knows Jesus has observed Peter's love for him throughout the course of the three years they've been in ministry together. The, but then he goes on to this other point, this gnosko, what is that? It's to be sure of something or to have intimate knowledge of something. So it's not, a, it's like, um, I'll give you a great example. Adam knew his wife Eve and they had babies. Do you, do, you, do you know what that means? They intimately knew each other to a point to where they were able to conceive. 
So that kind of language is used in the Old Testament. Gnosko in the Old Testament is known as, you've heard me say it before, yada. And if you've seen the, uh, the uh, Seinfeld episodes, yada, 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 this is where that comes from. They use a lot of Yiddish and different Jewish language there. Yada, yada means to know something intimately. You know, you know. But in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, these two, these two words are similar, gnosko and yada. And, and Adam, the same word for yada and gnosko, Adam knew his wife Eve, and they conceived and bore children together is the same words that God uses for us. Let me show you. <coughs> Psalm 139, one through six. I think I used this passage last week. Let me show you, let me show you how this works out for the psalmist. Because he uses this word. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you yada everything about me. You yada or gnosko, when I sit down or stand up, you yada my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You yada or gnosko everything I do. He's not just saying, God, you observe these things and you know this about me. He's saying you intimately know every detail about who I am. You know my heart, my mind, the inner workings of everything about me. There's nowhere I can go and not be away from you that you don't know intimately every single detail about me. Now let's put this back into perspective in John 21. See, Peter knows that he's failed Jesus because he's not lived up to God's expectations of love. Jesus has been saying, other people will know you're my disciple by your agapeo for one another. And Peter couldn't even live up to the most basic command to love God and to love others is found in the, the greatest commandment. So all Peter's willing to muster in this point is, you, you've observed that I loved you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you've observed it. You've seen me live it out. Feed my sheep. And finally, at this breaking point, when Peter is just at the, his, his most distressed, when, when Jesus changes this agape to phileo and says, fine, if you can't agape me, I'll take the phileo until you're able to agape me again. And Peter broke and says, you observe everything, but yes, you intimately know I love you. Jesus was wanting to get Peter to the point of not only admitting where he was wrong, but admitting there was a way back to Jesus. Again, it goes back to this, this idea. You can't go so far from Jesus that he can't redeem you. See, love has this restorative and regenerative process about it. God's love, agape love, has this restorative and regenerative process that brings us back to this place of hope and restoration if we just are willing. The problem is, and let's be honest, we, we, God can forgive us easier than we can forgive ourselves. Isn't that true? Because we know how far we've gone and the horrible things we've done that are a horrible embarrassment to us that if anybody else knew what we had done, we'd be so ashamed, we'd want to crawl in a hole and die or like Judas, maybe end it all. 
But Jesus says, I love you more than life itself. And I'm willing not only to die on a cross for you, but to seek you out in your most desperate situation when you think everything is lost. Because I want you to know that I'm still here. That I still love you. I still care for you. I still want you. It's this idea where Jesus says, this shepherd will leave the 99 and go find the one. Do you know that parable, that story that Jesus talks about? But see, I don't know that we oftentimes believe that. Oh yeah, it's a, it's a nice story. Those of us that have grown in the church have heard that he leaves the 99 and goes find the one. But oftentimes when we find ourselves in desperate situations, we don't believe that he would come and find us or even care enough to forgive us for what we've done. But he does. Several years ago, an angry man rushed through the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam until he reached Rembrandt's famous painting called Night Watch. Then he took out a knife. He slashed it repeatedly before he could be stopped. A short time later, uh, a distraught, hostile man slipped into St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome with a hammer and began smashing Michelangelo's beautiful sculpture, the Pieta. We were there just a few months ago, actually, my wife and I, and, and saw the Pieta and how beautiful it was. And to imagine that it was smashed with a hammer by a crazy guy is inconceivable. One of the great masterpieces of all time. These two cherished works of art were severely damaged, but what did officials do? Did they throw them out? Let me ask you this. What did the officials do? What did curators do? They say, oh, it's broken now. We need to you know, grind it up, recycle the material. No. No, they painstakingly spent hours upon hours restoring these broken masterpieces. Using the best experts, the latest technology, they painstakingly put them back together. Do you view yourself as a masterpiece of God? Psalm 139, do you believe that you are fearfully and wonderfully made by your creator? You see, I think many of us don't. And if you don't believe you are fearfully and wonderfully made by your creator, then the sanctity of life is diminished in your own life. If you don't see value in your own life, is it easy to see value in other people's lives? You know why I think abortion is such a hot topic today and why it's such a taboo issue and why 60 plus million children have died? abortion. This is Sanctity of Life Month, by the way. Do you know why I think that we have this epidemic? It's because we don't love ourselves and we don't live like we're loved. We don't believe that we are created in the very image of God and so we diminish life's value and the sanctity of life because we don't believe that we're even worth it. And when you live in a culture where life is so devalued in the individual, 
that we believe we have to have this thing or that thing to make our lives more full or more profitable. I mean, we are so commercialized in America. We believe that we have to have all these gizmos, gadgets, technology, and I'm not saying those things are bad, but when they take the place of God Almighty and they give us the sense of worth we think we can have by having those things in our possession, that we've diminished the value of life so greatly that we turned a blind eye to the abortion epidemic. 60 million. I've spoken at, uh, at places about the pro-life issue. 60 million, and I think I've spoken at the church here. That's the equivalent of California, New York, and I believe Texas populations wiped out like that. Jesus says, do you all got pay on me? Feed my sheep. It's not just for Peter, it's for you and I. Do you all got pay on me? Feed my sheep. Do you all got pay on me? Feed my sheep. See, you're a masterpiece made in the image of God. And if he didn't think you were worth it, Jesus would have never come. He would have never gone through what he went through, would have never died on a cross. God would have never subjected himself to that kind of distress and torture if he didn't love us sacrificially, selflessly, and unconditionally. Remember, God's love is restorative and regenerative. As our worship team comes forward today, we don't have altars. <laughs> we have altars where you would come and pray in the morning service. Um, let, me, let me do this today. As our worship team comes forward and prepares to close us out today, if you're struggling with finding your worth, if you have insecurities that override your sensibilities about who God is and who God desires for you to be in Him, then there is a place for you here, a place where you can pray and people will pray with you. Um, to know that you're loved unconditionally. You see, God has called us to love the way he first loved us. He calls us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love each other as we love ourselves. And that means unconditionally, selflessly, and sacrificially. So this morning, if you would like somebody to pray with you, I'm gonna ask you to come to my right, your left, and you can stand in this area over here. We will pray with you. If you wanna pray alone, you can kneel at your chair right there and just pray to the Heavenly Father. You know, I'm struggling, God. You know, I need you, and I know I need you. But I feel like there's this huge chasm between us. Help me find a way back. And just like Jesus did with Peter, he can restore and regenerate your life beyond anything you can imagine. Let's pray. Father, we, we struggle really with our own insecurities more often than not. Yes, you convict us of sin. Yes, you have standards and boundaries. There are black and whites and there is truth. 
But amidst all of that, <laughs> you remind us that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only son, that whoever believes in you wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. You remind us that you sent your son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And God, the epitome of who you are, this agape love, should be the epitome of all we are. Help us to live that out. To love you, to love others, to love ourselves, to live into the masterpiece you've created us. Though we may be broken and destroyed, we know that you can bring beauty from ashes. Restore us, cleanse us, redeem us as we repent of our sins and move in your direction. Heavenly Father, I pray. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Main, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.